0: Hello, and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford, and on today's episode, we have Monty Franklin. He's an Australian-born stand-up comedian, now based in LA, so doing all the good stuff overseas, and uh, he's funny as. I think you're going to like it. He's toured and open for people like Rob Schneider, uh, Joe Rogan, and other big, big acts. So... uh, I really feel like you're going to dig this story. He's a nice dude. He's coming to Australia early August. So make sure you go see him. Enjoy.
1: You found the button.
0: Found the button. Hey, you found something for once. Huh? <laughs> I never find the button. Monty, thank you so
1: much for jumping on the pod. For
2: those at home listening, tell us who I am. What do you do? Uh, my name's Monty Franklin. I am apparently a stand up comedian. And um, yeah, that's what I do, I think. I love your stuff, brother. So, big thanks to Lola Berry for hooking this up. Um,
0: She obviously uh, had you on her podcast or whatever. And uh, we've been diving deep into your work and your TikTok's going off, brother. The Australian stuff uh, over in the
2: US. It's funny just watching them just fuck everything up, eh? Well, I've been here 10 years. I'm married to an American. Every day, there's something that I say that she looks at me like I'm an insane person or I do something I tell you, I I put this on my Instagram because I just thought it was so ridiculous. A few weeks ago, I was at Mammoth Mountain in California, and I was standing outside. There was all these people crowded around this like cave area, and I just went up to this guy and said, oh, well, what's happening here? And the guy turned to me, and he goes, oh, there's there's a bear in there. And if you're Australian, you know exactly what I said to this guy. I looked him in the eyes and just went, and a chair as well, and... He didn't know what I was talking about. I looked like a mental person. Like, what kind of shit detective am I? Like, oh, is there a bear? Is there a chair in there as well? Is there people with games and stories to tell? Like, I just, there's a culture that we have in Australia that is just for us. But that is a beautiful thing, too. Hey, 10 years over there. How did you end up over there in the first place? Um, I think I was, I'd done stand up for about 10 years in Australia, and uh, my sister was living in America. And uh, I came to visit her and I, I think I just, I wanted something different, bigger perhaps, and, and try. And there's a there's a world here in America that is exactly what you think it would be. And I know it's very cliche to say that it's there's opportunity or whatever the hell they say, but there really is. There's so much going on here and it's just, uh, it was very inviting at the time and I'm glad that I did it when I did otherwise I would have got too secure in my work in Australia and, and been too scared to let go of perhaps money I was making or, or progress I was making. I, I had some TV shows and radio shows in Australia that were in the infant stages and uh, if I'd got further into them, I, it would have been hard to let go of that kind of uh, uh, ground root career that I had had built in Australia. But I was in a position where I could. I wasn't married, didn't have kids. It's not easy Uh trying to break into America and uh, if you've got a family or you've got commitments and stuff it would just be 10 times harder so I was able to kind of sleep on couches and and bum around and you know spend $10 a day trying to survive (laughs) for the first few years until I started to kind of get a leg in and and work uh, work my way up the the comedy ranks in in, uh, America and, and that kind of stuff so uh It was really what lured me was the potential of bigger and better things. I know that sounds ridiculous, but this is where it all happens. This is where the movies are made this is where the big comedy's done. you know It seems from like
1: a stand up pathway too there's a lot more of a a scene. You know, here in Australia, it's such a small. Like mean, there's so many people over there, but it's pretty small here in Oz. Like, can you tell tell us about the first couple of years when you go over there? Did you know people? Was it like,
0: did the Aussies get around you? Is it just, or they're more like, hang on, we 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 got to stay in our own lane, help ourselves, or is it a supportive environment?
2: Uh, it's interesting because, first of all, the Australian comedy scene is very uh, is very good and very. Um, there's a lot of support there. But it is very small. There's only sort of one major club in each city. And the majority of work that my friends, you know, now that are very successful, it's corporate stuff. So you're going to do shows for uh, Bunnings Warehouse, you know, their corporate event or something. You get paid a bloody fortune, but it's not actually uh, that much fun uh, from what my friends say. And But the environment in Australia is very, uh, very small in that respect. And here it's actually quite small as well really because there's a difference between the thousands and thousands that want to do it as opposed to the small ones that are actually doing it and once you kind of get accepted into that and it's almost like the comedy store in Hollywood is the that's the the mecca for all the comedians to go to and once you once you get accepted in the fraternity there or or whatever you want to call it, uh, they're very helpful and um, and encouraging. And uh, you know, my name went up on that wall next to Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams and stuff like that. And it was a big, it was a big moment for me. And um, even some of the uh, comedians back in Australia called me up. Chris Franklin, you know, Chris Franklin, the I'm a bloke, I'm a yobbo, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a good mate of mine, and and he called me up and said, I just wanted you to know that. Uh, we're all really proud of you back here. And that meant a lot to me. That meant a lot that he called me and took the time and, and let me know that I had support back in Australia for something I was doing that was incredibly hard. And um, and then the Australian community in America uh, is very encouraging, because this is kind of how it works. If you're going to in any, in any entertainment facet, if you're an actor or a musician or a comedian or, or whatever you do and you come to America to break in, it is so hard to do that the ones that aren't really committed and there for the long haul drop off pretty quickly. So once they're weeded out and, and they realise, oh, that wasn't for me, that was a bit hard, the ones that stay are usually very driven, very talented, very very good people and they're the ones that are usually encouraging to others rather than looking out for themselves there's always that element of that in the in the industry of entertainment you know you and you should you should take care of yourself first but there is a lot of encouragement there's a very good community in LA and all around America I, I travel around I've been to 42 states now doing stand-up and there'll always be a, a, a group of Aussies or, or a footy team over here you know like a footy team from Chicago that comes out to my show, and there's 20 Australians, and it's it is a, it is nice to have that, um, knowing that it's there, and you've got that familiar familiarity, whatever that word is, and um, yeah yeah yeah, that's the one. <laughs>
1: Seriously, though, I feel like if that was Locke, he just got his name up on a wall,
0: and that every time
1: someone oh, comes to visit, that's gonna be like where you take. Hang it, on, you know what you
2: what
0: you're saying we need to get a trophy cabinet, we need to show off all our old stuff to just inspire ourselves that we are good. You know <laughs> what I mean?
2: Like we're not just pieces of shit. That how just, often? Yeah, how yeah. often do you reflect back on your own work and go, "That was good." You know, that was good. It's hard. It's hard to do, and as Australians, we don't do that enough. You know, that's something Americans do well. They uh, they look at their own achievements and and in in a non-dick way they pat themselves on the back which is it's a good thing but in Australia uh, the tall poppy syndrome does still exist so you kind of I found myself knocking myself down a lot uh, and and saying ah you know it's not that it's not that good and uh, I've I've worked for the last 10 years with Rob Schneider and toured around with him and done tv shows and movies and I've got to hang out with him and Adam Sandler and all those guys and stuff and and they all said, you've got, to stop. you've got to stop doing that here. You can't cut yourself down like that. I know that in Australia you do that because it's like a humbling thing. But here, people listen and they go, oh, well, maybe he's not that good like that. So they, he actively told me, um, stop stop doing that. You don't have to go out and brag about yourself, but just stop cutting yourself down as well, which is it's an interesting thing. It's a cultural thing in Australia. And we only do it because we want to seem humble. That's really all that it is.
0: It's the reverse brag, isn't it? And then they go, oh, they're so humble. That's what you really want. It's just a common theme that's come across
2: in all our
1: chats. Like the amount of people we've had on the pod across industries that say the same thing, that feel the same feeling when they start getting a little bit of success or they're like striving to make something happen. It's like that even just communicating and telling like friends and family, did you have that same
2: sort of thing when you made the decision to go over the States? What were the, the people close to you saying? Well, my family's always been very encouraging and I had family here. my sister lives in l a so I had uh, sort of that around me um and they' they've always been encouraging and for the first couple of years, it was really, really tough but they they heard about all the the hardships whereas I wouldn't have told my friends and and uh, like other comedians back in Australia my hardships because I wanted to appear like I was doing great and uh and so there there was um it was it was difficult for the first couple of years um particularly uh having a a foot in in the industry in australia and, and like i said I, I had some some things going and then coming here and, and having nothing and starting from the beginning like i couldn't even go into comedy clubs they would be like oh no you have to buy a ticket and i'm like oh, i just want to go at the back and watch and they're like no you know and <laughs> It was such a kick to the to the ego and the nuts, but um, it was it was a good thing. And, and as like ridiculous as it sounds, it was very uh, what do they say um, character building. <laughs> well, I love that because uh, back against the wall type of stuff. I feel like
0: sometimes you can get pushed in a certain direction, and you don't have that other shit behind you where you've you've had to grind or you've had to you know work your way up and do different things like. Can you explain the moment where you're like, nah, fuck, I, I got this? Was there a moment over there where you had a gig, or was there a pivotal moment where it changed everything for you, or gave you that inner confidence where you're like, nah, fuck it, I've got it?
2: Honestly, I think the the confidence that I, that of what you're saying, of I got it, was when I uh, met Rob Schneider for the first time. And um, we started chatting, and he said, um, he was about to go on tour in Australia and was asking me all these questions about local things and stuff. And so I gave him some reference and he he called me like later that night after we'd met for the first time and said, do you just want to come on the Australia tour with me? And I was just like, all right. And he said, I'll come out this weekend to Dayton, Ohio, we went to for some shows. He wanted to just see if I was half decent enough because – You know, you don't want to take someone on a full tour if they suck. So um, I went out to this club and I only had to do 20 minutes before him. Now, headlining, you're doing an hour. So I was very confident in my 20 minutes knowing I've got this. And so I went up and I I had a great set in front of him. And afterwards, he said, uh, oh, you're you're in the tour. And honestly, yeah, if if you're going to think about a moment, I felt then uh, I can I can do this. I I, can, I know when I'm ready, and I was ready for that at the time. I was ready to impress someone of that caliber for twenty minutes. I don't think I could have done an hour, to be honest. But twenty minutes was fine. And then um, that was a pivotal moment for me and my um, confidence level. Then going into a lot of stuff in America, and since then, I've I've um, I've felt uh, that I've done pretty good about hitting the the moments when I needed to, when I felt that I was ready and stuff like that.
1: It must have been a cool thing coming back with Rob to come to Australia as part of that tour. And now I'm like, hey, I've already done time here. I'm from Australia. It's like yeah. coming back like with yeah, the crew. Yeah, it's yeah. like, hey,
2: I'm, I'm back, you know? Yeah, yeah. We did the Sydney Opera House. It was wow. incredible. Like it was one of the best days of my life. And for him it was kind of, oh, just another another show. And I was like, you know what this means to me? <laughs> and um so yes that was very fun but the really great thing about doing it was that Rob really embraced me as a performer and a friend at the time and took me on to the radio with uh, Kyle and Jackie O and took me on to these things and I remember Kyle and Jackie O saying to me who are you why don't we know who you are and I went I don't know I don't know no, <laughs> no one's meant to know who I am but I'm I'm just here with Rob so it was kind of like a funny it was a funny uh reintroduction back into Australia because it wasn't like I had a massive fan base or something, but it was nice to to know that I was kind of coming home with uh with uh this new friend that I'd made over in America, you know. What what year was this? It was ten years ago, so whatever year we are now, minus ten. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think like the power of someone believing in you, especially if someone of his ilk, I think like when you when you know that someone believes in you, know, I think that, that
2: Is everything, isn't it? Do you want to know a cool story? I haven't haven't told many people this. So um when I was about five years, I'd been working for Rob for about three or four years, and and he was doing some shows in Las Vegas with Adam Sandler, some big shows. They were doing stadiums. And uh he invited me out and um uh I went out and um, I was having dinner with Rob and and Adam Sandler and Norm Macdonald was there and David Spade and Ben Stiller was there for some reason. He wasn't part of the shows, but you know, it's just, it's the silliest thing ever. And I, I just said, don't say anything <laughs> at this table. You'll make an ass of yourself. So I just quietly just listened to everyone and they, um, uh, Adam said to me, oh, do you want to fly back to us uh, uh, tomorrow to L.A. Uh, in the private jet? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, like trying to act cool like that happens all the time. <laughs> and, um, and he said, all right, we'll meet us downstairs uh, tomorrow. Now, I didn't have a hotel. They were staying at the Hard Rock and it was way too expensive. I didn't have that kind of money, but I didn't want them to know that. So I just said, yeah, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. So I went to go and find a cheap hotel and I couldn't find anything. Long story short, I slept in a park under a, under a bush like with my bag and then went back to the uh, hard rock in the morning and, and acted like I'd just stayed at, at one of the rooms that night. But the reason that I bring that up and the confidence um, and the, the something that happened was um, before we all went away, Rob, myself and Adam went up to Adam's room in the penthouse and, uh, and Rob said, Adam invited you up here for a reason and uh and i went oh and then adam spoke to me for about 20 minutes and just said you know we, we we've seen what you've been doing we're we're very encouraging of you and uh just letting you know that we got you back and to have that from adam sandler that was a big big confidence boost and then you know in this industry there's ups there's massive downs there's ups and downs but when you get someone of that caliber just saying just giving you a nod like hey you you're doing you're doing good. Keep it up, and that's all it was. But that was enough to, you know, to really spur me on and think, okay, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm good at what I'm doing, <laughs> and I, I still need to grow story. and everything. But you know, that was that was that was a big, big moment. That was big.
1: That's wild, man! I can't believe awesome. you're
0: stuck in the park. You got all that. That's a weird, like. We love that that juxtaposition of like, where even when we go in and have meetings, and then we're, we're hanging out in the Darrow Park or whatever. And... Yeah, 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 it's, it's real.
1: We've had a bunch of people on the pod that run like billion-dollar companies, <laughs> and me and like feel like we had them down to our office. We had a Torque, which was like an old ballet studio. It was like a crackdown, a little bit crackdown-ish, and <laughs> had these people come in and like. Oh. I remember one guy happened to go to the toilet. We had no fucking paper towel or nothing. He's <laughs> holding his hands up like billion dollar he runs a billion-dollar company. Had to like we saw the discussion. Gust on his face as he wiped them on his pants and me and Locke were like oh well should we record the pod now <laughs> <Yeah>. oh.
2: <laughs>
1: I, let, let's get into like how maybe like yourself as a performer how have you changed have you grown what have you learned what, what's different now compared to maybe like 10 years ago
2: I've certainly learned a lot um being in America and around the entertainment uh that is here the caliber of comedy in America, I, the Americans do stand-up comedy the best. Uh, far better than uh, the English, the Australians, far better than any other country. That, like, I mean, you think about the top comedians in the world right now, they're all American. It's you know, Steve Chappelle, Joe Rogan, like, they're all. So to experience that, see that, and then try and um, elevate my own work uh, as a result has been. Um, has been very difficult, but also very, uh, very um, interesting and rewarding. Knowing that, you know, what I kind of say to myself is that I, I'm playing in the NBA, like the the biggest level possible, and I'm I'm playing. I'm on the court. I might not be breaking the backboard and and you know impressing everyone completely, but I'm playing. I'm on the court. And uh, and I get to watch these other guys play and see how they move and then train and practice and and so I, I feel like I'm in an environment where uh, the level of comedy that you can get to is is just a, it's 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 bigger it's it's something else it's more interesting not to say that you can't do that in Australia there's plenty of unreal. I mean Carl Barron is one of the best comedians in the world but he's very uh, appealing to Australians. Uh, I'm 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 not sure if he comes over here and, and would appeal to mass American audiences, but he uh, you know I mean he's beloved by all of Australia, and it's uh it is very there's a lot of a lot of entertainment and stuff here and things to kind of draw off and and just a melting pot of and I don't like to get into it and stuff so I don't but there is a lot of political stuff here as you guys know and there's a lot of oh they're on that side and they're on that side there's just a lot going on so there's a lot to draw from
0: oh I love that I was gonna say like I feel like comedians have the best lens of issues that are actually going on with everything because they can be like brutally truthful in a funny way I think if it's funny people are like oh that's all right I can I can deal with that but if it's not it's just sort
2: of offensive isn't it well also we're performing in front of you know hundreds, thousands of people everywhere around the country, the world, every night. So for the person who maybe has a news program and is saying, this is how the country feels, how do you know? You're not around the country, but I am. I'm in Dayton, Ohio. I'm in Chicago. I'm in Denver and stuff. And I see how people are feeling towards certain uh, political issues, certain things like that. And it's interesting to see how how the media is portraying some stuff and saying, this is so important to everyone. And then I go out and I go, people don't care. They just want to be good people and have a good time. They they really do. And I think America gets portrayed uh, often as this huge polarizing, you're either this side or you're that or something. And to some degree, yes. But then, honestly, 95% of people that I meet around this country are just good people that want to have a laugh. And they love us, by the way. They they love Australians, and we owe that to just a, a string of awesome people that have come over here. Probably starting or back with probably Errol Flynn, really, but then moving on to Paul Hogan, and then Hugh Jackman, and then the Hemsworths, and like every like and Margot Robbie, and all these these people that are hardworking, uh, like good Australians that are kind of representing us. And so that that's nice to feel uh every time i meet someone in this country that they just smile immediately and that that's that's an awesome thing
1: you you mentioned before the sports reference like you play in nba i feel like this what what NBA. makes a lot of like the best players is longevity and you you mentioned hanging out with like rob and adam like who've been around for a long period of time what goes
2: into your head about building a career that lasts a long time well it's very i'm in a very fortunate position where i get to Talk to these people a lot rob i just spoke to him an hour ago and he um he he says to me basically stand up will be your backbone your bread and butter for the rest of your life and in between that you will do uh movies you'll do tv and stuff like that but stand up will be the backbone for the longevity so that's where um that's where he says most of your money will be made, your time will be spent, and that's where you'll make an impact and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see from his perspective because he's built a career off basically Juice Bigelow, off one movie. And, you know, since then he's performed stand-up and made millions and millions of dollars uh, as a result of being a, a sort of beloved character from one movie. And, it's interesting to see how um, these people, like you say, these these NBA stars. Let's just call them that. Funny reference we've gone with, but anyway, um, like how that.
1: They, like if, you, if you're going to be a, compared to like
2: LeBron and that, it's not a bad reference, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially
1: if you make it yourself.
2: You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, LeBron's on the court. I'm just. Uh, I'm sitting waiting for my turn. But um, the uh, see see, I cut myself down there, but um. <laughs> It's, uh, it's interesting to watch now uh, how I, I sp- have been lucky enough also to spend a lot of time with Joe Rogan and see how he balances being such a big celebrity and also having a good family life and being a good friend and a good person. Um, that's very interesting to me now. He's a polarising
1: dude. You, know? you mentioned before political correctness. I feel like he touches on a lot of subjects that mainstream don't want people talking about with the size of his platform. Can you go into maybe some of the convoys you had
2: with him around how he navigates certain issues? Well, i tell you why he is so popular and why he is great is because he's curious and he will listen. And he gives everyone a, a chance to speak their mind, whereas a lot of people shut people off immediately and go, no, you're wrong, so I won't listen to that. But he does listen to people, and if he thinks that they're wrong, he'll he'll pull them up on it. He'll go, "I don't think that's true," and then uh, so I I mean, we need people like this in society of of his calibre to allow everyone to have a voice and and uh, voice their opinions, and so we can everyone can have a go at, at experiencing that side of things and that side of things, and then making their own decision and. The problem often people think, well, people are dumb, so we have to tell them how to think. People aren't dumb. Some people are dumb, but <laughs> but right. most people, most people are pretty smart, and and they they have a right to have their own opinion on things. So to to allow uh, a big platform like that to have many people from, I mean, I was on his podcast uh, last year, and then he has like a neuro physicist, a scientist a week later. And, you know, I'm a, I'm an idiot. We talked about absolute drivel. It made, it, you'd learnt nothing, nothing from listening to our podcast. It was fun. No, I, I heard learn. you
0: talk about the Batman and Nirvana. I watched that clip around uh, you explaining how the director was uh, listening to a lot of Nirvana at the time and Robert Pattinson's your favourite Batman.
2: Oh, I got so much hate for that. You should have seen how many <laughs> people wrote to me online. They're like, what are you talking about? Someone wrote something funny to me. They said... If you think he's the no they they said I agree he's the best batman but he's not the best Bruce Wayne and I was like all right I can I can deal with that and then he said and to be a good batman you just need to have a good jawline and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> I guess that is true that is true but
0: what about <laughs> material for you like constantly thinking of new ideas and testing them out and I'm sure your notebook or whatever however you do it's just stacked to the brim but and do you have moments of where you can't think of fucking anything
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. You go through sort of phases. Sometimes it's months and you're like, oh, I've got nothing, I'm getting nothing, I'm drawing nothing. And then other times it flows and it's it's just at work. So the key to it, uh, and I've been doing stand-up for 20 years, is to not force it. And um, I was lucky enough, yeah, I'm just dropping names here, I apologise, but um, I worked uh, with John Cleese and we wrote a movie together and I, I spent about six weeks in Scottsdale, Arizona um, with Rob and John Cleese writing a movie and um, he would never force what we were doing. We would work for about two hours in the morning and he's old, he's 82, so we'd work for about two hours, we'd laugh, we'd write it all down and then he'd just go, right, that's enough for today or we're going to push it too far, let's go and have lunch. And then we'd go and have lunch and we'd just think about other stuff but at lunch... More stuff would flow through because you weren't sitting there banging your head against ah oh, what's what's funny what's funny that doesn't work. He's got a whole book on it. It's called creativity, and um, that's why uh, the best ideas come to you in the shower because you're not banging your head going think think come on funny funny that 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 doesn't work. But living your life, doing cool stuff, and and then writing things just in your in your notes on your phone. And um and revisiting them later, that's when good stuff comes.
0: Because you got shit to work with, yeah. You got a you got this whole thing of all these ideas, and you can go back, craft them, rework them. How long does it take to do a job? I'm sure they're all different. Some might just come like that, and some are harder to, to construct. Do you have like a list of ones that you haven't done yet, but you're still working on?
2: Yeah. It's kind of like uh, when you hear musicians say that that hit song just came to me, and you know they they write it in in a minute and they can't they can't get it out quick enough, and and it's one of their biggest hits. And then other ones take them months of working and stuff like that. Similar with jokes. Some um, I, I had I was working in Chicago on the weekend, and I just did something stupid in a yoga class, and I knew oh this is this is a funny joke, and I did it that night, and it was instantly all contained in a perfect three-minute joke but i've got other ones that i'm i'm trying out an idea and and you can't you're not really wording it right or the audience doesn't know what you're saying or the logic isn't there so it's a bit more difficult and it takes takes time to muscle through some of them but the the good thing once i mean for anyone who's thinking about doing stand-up for instance Your first five, six, seven years, even you're just trying to figure yourself out and how to how to talk on stage. So I feel um, I feel confident in knowing that any subject matter I go into, at least I know my voice already, and I'm comfortable in my opinion and what I'm saying and where I'm going to go. Now it's just a matter of logically getting the audience to come with you and and making it and making the, the the punchlines at the right points and stuff like that
0: is it like a new set list depending on the city or the tour or is it like a tour where you do the same sort of things or do you read the crowd like if you think that they're going to be like assumptions or whatever around this audience I might do that one or is it like a music set list or same sort of ones
2: sometimes it's more like a music set list for a tour let's say and you know you're going to do these ones but if I go into Uh, a room, I did Florida recently, and it was a very old room, (laughs) maybe like 70-year-olds, and I went, well, I'm not going to talk about Instagram and stuff because they're not going to care. So I just went, oh, let's keep that to one side and let's talk about my mum a bit more. I know they'll like that. So there's a little bit of of that, but you tend to stick to uh, the set list, uh, the musical set list for that particular tour. I'm very excited to come back to Australia because I can do all my Australian jokes that I can't do here and talk about things that they have no idea about and then make fun of them for not knowing about like I don't know the how much how excited we are about winning the meat tray at the RSL. That that doesn't make any sense to Americans, but for Australians, that's a that's a that's a trophy piece. Are you kidding? You won the meat tray? Tell everyone.
1: <laughs> hey, before, before you jumped on this chat, we're watching some of your, your videos on TikTok and one of them come up. It was like uh, saying different words, uh, Australian to a, an American. And it was like a run of maybe like eight or nine in a row that was like, just add E at the end of it. It was like Bicky or whatever. Oh, yeah. And it just had me laughing because I was like, I was a yeah, another one we were reading the note out in Times Square and getting people to read things out, having oh, a chunder yeah. in the thing, and I just—we wow. realize we're very bogan, aren't oh, we? Me and you, very, we're very bogue. We yeah, got a lot yeah. of bogue in, in here, but like, what what about what have been some of the like the biggest things that
2: have stood out for you, being an Aussie over there, that people have no idea about? Uh, um, first of all we're, all, we're all Australians. I think have a, a hint of bogan. Some some have a bit more, and everything, but but we we kind of uh, I think. Uh, where the bogan badge is a bit of a pride which means that we're just kind of good people and uh and saying you know that we're ocker and bogan and stuff that's just kind of our culture and i think it's i think it's great i miss it all the time and and when you bump into an australian anywhere overseas you instantly kind of have that connection of, <laughs> of bogan <laughs> and you get along with uh aussies very easily because of that and um and then so you come over here with uh I've had I've had to drop some of the things because it's just too hard to explain. Yeah, surely you dial back the slang a little bit. Yeah, I was like dialing, oh, up, you have dialing to. up. There's absolutely no way. But when your mates come over, you can dial it up and you can have full conversations in front of even my wife and she just goes, I have no idea what you said. And you're there going, Um, let's go get a slab from the bottleo and go skull tinnies in the back of my ute. They don't know what the hell that means. But um it's funny that we've got our own sort of bogan language um, but I've had to stop saying um, things like petrol uh, I have to say gas and it just bothers me slightly. Every time I do it I go <laughs> what am I doing? but I can't I can't keep explaining myself to everyone particularly on the phone if you're on the phone to Americans, I have to put an American accent on because they can't understand anything that I say and then and then I just feel like an idiot. <laughs>
0: What about like in social settings? I'd feel like if I was a comedian, I'd feel the pressure to be on all the time. Like I'm going somewhere, it might be your partner's work or something like that. And it's like, fuck, do I have to turn it on now? Or can I just dial it back? Or
2: if I'm not yeah. feeling that funny, like, does he ever have moments like that? Do you have to be on? They're Like
1: no. dance monkey. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. The best, The best comedians in the world are actually quiet people that sit and observe. So I've got mates that are arguably way funnier than I am in a social situation and they will be the ones telling the stories and doing this and doing that. And I kind of just sit in am quiet. A lot of times people say to me, are you all right? Like they expect me to be this clown. Whereas I'm not, I'm kind of, I just observe people behaviors and stuff like that. And then uh, in a comedic and fun way, I will reenact them um, on stage or whatever like that. So I never feel pressure to be funny. The only time I do is when I have to bring up my um, career to, I don't know, like a bank manager or something, and what is your career? And I go, I'm a stand-up comedian. They go, really? Tell us a joke. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm filling out a bank form. I don't want <laughs> to tell you a joke. I also don't know jokes. You know how you got some mates that just know jokes, like joke, joke, joke. I don't, I don't know jokes. I know my observations and my funny things to say, but they're like five-minute bits. I'm not going to do them at the bank. <laughs> do you ever forget
0: jokes? Do you ever like, fuck, I had this banger back in the day and I can't remember it? Or you go have to go back and watch it?
2: Yeah, sometimes yeah. people go, oh, I love that joke you did about that. And you go, I don't even remember doing that. My mate said that to me the other day. I used to have a joke about... Uh, talking about the bins that you put out, you know, you got your recycling bin, your regular bin, and then you. I had this whole fun joke on it, and I just, I couldn't remember any of it when he was telling me. And uh, yeah, you just kind of forget that they kind of have a shelf life, jokes, which is interesting. You have these great jokes, and then then one day they don't hit as hard, and you're like, "What happened?" I'm doing it the same way, but they have like a, they got like a shelf life, and then uh, sometimes they just need to. They need to go. But they can come back again, which is always fun. What,
0: what about What is it about comedy that you're so in enthralled with? Like what, what inspirations or anything growing up or was it the first time you sort of made someone
2: laugh? You're like, I, I just want to keep doing this. I've got a very funny family. My mum's hilarious. My aunties are hilarious. My grandma was hilarious. Like actually most of the women in my family are really funny. The, the men are a little bit more quiet um and so I remember being around the Christmas table you know dinner table and I, I noticed how um people would tell stories and then someone else would tell a story and then uh and I I, I was young but I wanted to get in and tell a story I, and I remember the first time I did one and I I everyone was looking at me at the Christmas table and I got nervous and I was like, oh, everyone's listening. But I told this story and it got a laugh at the end and, and I was like, oh, that's how you do it. And so I think I learnt that just from my family in the beginning. And then I think Australians in general, we're, we're all pretty funny. Everyone's funny and everyone's up for a laugh too. You don't, you rarely bump into Australian where they go, oh, no, that's that's not funny. They're usually like, ha, that's great. So you know through your teenage years you muck around with your friends and you try and try and be funny and all this sort of stuff and then uh I think I first did stand up when I was 20 years old I was on the Gold Coast and I I went past this uh comedy club and it had a comedy competition and I remember thinking at 20 you you you're starting to get the pressure of what are you doing with your life are you you going to university or what are you doing and I'm like maybe I'll try this and see how that goes and so I went in and did this comedy competition, and I won this comedy competition, and uh, and I was like, oh, okay, that was that was really fun. I liked that. And then I uh, I went overseas for a couple of years, came back, and and I just got stuck back into it. Then and then then it's a whole different thing. It's one thing to tell a story and make your friends laugh and go, that was good. It's a vastly different thing to construct a comedy bit and say it on stage and have a whole audience laugh, and you're like, ooh. It's uh, then you you really get addicted. What
1: about pressure and nerves, like preparing for performances or pre- preparing for big gigs or shows? Like, do you feel that? Is it? Do you have like? What's your process? Oh, I, I feel
0: the freeze sometimes when, when the l- when the
1: lights are on me. I'm like I don't
2: even know what I'm talking about. Who am I? I think that's the short term memory <laughs> <not tonight. laughs> You know where I get more nervous is uh is doing a speech at a wedding or something. I'm, I'm good at uh, at the stand-up. I know that so well. But uh, I think sometimes when people say, oh, can you talk at the wedding or can you talk at this and stuff, I go, oh, everyone expects me to be funny and I can't really do my jokes and there, So I, I, I know that nervous feeling still. But with the stand-up, it's more um, anxious is how you feel rather than nervous. You, you kind of you just want to get on there and start because once you start, then, you, then you're comfortable. But beforehand, you're like, ah, and then your brain starts going, you, you suck, you're no good. <laughs> so you just want to go on to stop that chatter so you can just go and do your thing.
1: Monty, <laughs> well, Locke Loc gets asked to do a lot of MCing at weddings. So he was the MC at my wedding and um, <laughs> he actually forgot one of Em's bridesmaids' names when he was doing the introductions coming through. I remembered her Instagram handle. And he rolled on.
0: <laughs> I kid you not, that's what he went that's with. It. And, and, and it's. Hamish and Ham Cas. Oh, and I was like, oh my god, I, didn't <laughs> that. I froze. My oh, that's head. funny. Sweaty. Oh, <laughs> bad. that's, no, that's it's funny. Everyone's this. like, why do you know our
2: Instagram handle so well? <laughs>
0: oh, great, you lost all less stuff. Uh, oh, it's
1: funny. Uh, what about like, uh, maybe like best performance? Do you have like uh, ones that stick out in your mind of like this was maybe the, the best time or the best moments of your
2: career? Uh, there's probably sort of different ones, like. On the weekend in Chicago, I had some of the best shows because I I was trying a lot of brand-new material and it was working. So as a comedian, when that happens, you're very excited that you've got, oh, I got all this new great stuff and how great. So that was a really good good feeling. But um, I think big moments for stand-up, definitely doing the Sydney Opera House um, was one, and then doing some bigger shows with uh, Rob in some – Awesome theaters and stuff have been good. I did the I did the United Center in Chicago, which is where the Chicago Bulls play, um, with Joe Rogan and another comedian called Andrew Santino. It was just the three of us, and our green room was the Chicago Bulls locker room, and it had Michael Jordan's locker in there and stuff. And so we're sitting there, just the three of us. There's twenty thousand people in the stadium ready to watch the show, and we're just laughing and giving each other shit and Michael Jordan's lockers there. So there's been moments where stuff like that has happened and I've just gone, just take a mental note of this. This is pretty awesome. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff kind of along the way, yeah.
0: Oh, Rob had the big, didn't you have the big wingspan? I liked Michael Jordan. Jordan. He channelled his energy. (laughs) What about
1: uh, like any other inspirations you had? Uh, Look, in the space, were there people that you looked up to here in Australia? You mentioned a few names
2: earlier, but were there any ones that were pivotal to you? Uh, A lot. And definitely in the beginning, um, I would always go and watch a lot of uh, the older comedians and see how they worked and stuff like that. And for me, Very pivotal to watch Jim Owen. And and, uh, do you guys know Dave Grant? He was an older comedian. He passed away about 10 years ago. But before he died, he rang me up and and did one of those things that we were talking about earlier. And he said, you know, you're doing great. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing, which was very nice of him to encourage me like that. Uh, Dave Hughes was uh, big when I started, so I always loved working with him and seeing how he worked. And then... Carl Barron, and I mean, we've got such great, unique comedy in Australia. Kitty Flanagan is so funny. She's hilarious. She's one of the funniest people on the planet. But uh, I just, uh, it's it's kind of just niche for Australians, although she she branches out a little bit. But then it was, the big thing for me was uh, movies. that That got me into thinking broader about how I could entertain perhaps because my uncle made movies. He was a director. And um, I used to go on set and watch him work. And I just love telling stories. So comedians are just storytellers, really. And then getting to do things like uh, I had a TV show. It was just at pilot stages on Channel 7 with um, Troy Kinney and Tom Seagate and Dave Thornton. And uh, it was like a sketch show. So we had a lot of fun uh, writing with that. And Lawrence Mooney worked on us with that. So he was always very pivotal in in uh, in someone to look up to in the comedy world and stuff like that and they were always very encouraging too uh Sean McAlef was very encouraging um there was there was a lot of people that they were very very pivotal in the beginning particularly when I came over to America and like I said Chris Franklin reached out and and said you know keep doing it we're all we're all we all, we all got your back which felt really good that was great
0: I remember watching Skit House and Comedy Inc. back in the day. They were like two of my favorite shows, I reckon. I yeah, used to they? great. They were crazy. And there's not like there's a few different shows. Like I love Have You Been Paying Attention now. Like I feel like you love that too. I now. like that. Too. Yeah.
1: It's, it's not it's one of the few shows now that like there's not as many things that are designed
2: to aim like I don't know, time slots for that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But what yeah. about
2: what about you? What like that other one like... that they did, the 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 one with the they'd enter the room in the door. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. Uh, Whose line is it anyway? No, nice? it was kind of like that, but it was an Australian one, and and they would they'd go on and thank God you're here. Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was that a good was one. good.
0: Yeah, that was good. What about you? Like constructing your own stories and and like playing parts in things. Would do you rather
2: play the part, or would you rather write the the show or the story? I'd rather write the story and play the part. Can I do both? <laughs> um, yeah. Main character energy. I like that. Yeah, the, the times that I have done other people's work, I, I find myself thinking a lot in my head, is this what they want? I hope they think I'm good. I hope this is, uh, you know, I hope they're enjoying this. Uh, when I've done my own work that I've written, I know how I want it to be and if it's sounding right. And even when I've done Rob's stuff because I'm so familiar with him, I didn't feel that pressure of oh does he like this I know I know oh I know what he wants and I'm going to uh do it and and it's going to be great and fun but for me writing your own stuff and and performing it is um that's closer to stand up really because you're writing your own stuff and you're the one performing it writing it and seeing someone else perform it yeah and then doing someone else's um, work is also, you know, it's still fun and great and it's a good time. But uh, I, I, where it's really, really fun is where you get to see because you're there at the birth of an idea and then you construct it into a written script and then you figure out how to make it and then you're there on set saying those words. It's, it's, you're far more invested in it. And it's that's that to me is where it's where it's really, really fun. And then you're editing it too. And you're seeing the the final editing is just the the telling of the joke, really. And and when you see it work, you're like, ah, it did work. That thing I thought about two years ago, it did work. That's
1: fun. <laughs> hey, well, The question we ask all our guests is a bit of a mental health question is uh, you sound like I'm pretty busy. Do you got a lot of stuff going on? What's the thing that you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life?
2: Um, friends, surfing. I, I go on a, a surfing trip once a year. I just did the Maldives. And um, uh, it was a boat trip for 10 days. And you just, it takes you about 24 hours. And then you forget about this bloody thing. And you just uh, telling dumb stories and surfing and talking about surfing. I told my wife, she goes, maybe uh, I'd like to come. I go, you would not like to come. Uh, you, you, we could go on a different one with like couples or something, but this is 10 guys. Talking about surfing the whole time and going surfing and stuff. And so that's a kind of mental reset for me. And um, then I think just the day-to-day as well, uh, getting a bit more in tune with uh, with my mental well-being is something that I've worked on for the last sort of five years. Because before that, I was like a lot of people, a bit sort of like, oh, you don't need to do that. You don't need to meditate and stuff. And I, I don't meditate, but I get it. I get I, I kind of understand that you do need to take a mental break and and work on your your yourself and uh that le- leads to much more creative and better things as a, as an output if you are focusing on, you know. I mean, like yesterday I was kind of stressed at the end of the day, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but I don't I don't drink uh every day but I, I just had a beer to wind down and and it was so nice just to just pull out and go oh, okay and I sat out at the back of my house and had a beer then that was enough to sort of just uh, stop the that going on too much the chatter uh, but definitely a big reset is a, a, a big surf trip uh, like that not a barley one that just involves uh, drinking <laughs> for 10 days. but uh, Did you get some like waves? Was it, were the waves all right when you are there, 10 days? It was the best, best surf of my life. It was hollow trees. Did you get to surf hollow trees? No, we're, we're, I can't even remember any of the ones we did. We didn't do hollow trees. We were in the south um, um, atolls and uh, we did um, tiger stripes and, uh, and around that area. But where the first couple of days were, it, they were kind of small, kind of two to three foot, kind of mush. But you're still in the Maldives, and it was the most beautiful thing ever. But then the surf turned on, and oh my god, I surfed so much that my body has taken four months to recover.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is Tiger Stripes the one they call it that because there's heaps of tiger sharks around? Is that the one that's called Tiger Stripes,
2: or is it because that's how it's called? The tiger stripes stripes because the the reef looks like the stripes of a tiger. That's way better. Right? I
0: thought they had swimming pigs and shit. Is that where that is? <laughs> have you seen the swimming pigs now? No, that's the Bahamas. That's the Bahamas. See, yeah, i got my fucking shit mixed up. But what about for the listeners? Any recommendations? Anything that you're watching, listening to, reading? Yeah, what do you find funny?
2: Yeah. Oh, if if anyone hasn't watched Ted Lasso yet, have you guys watched that?
0: I've watched is, uh, the first four episodes. I didn't have Apple TV, but, yeah, I need to get on it because everyone talks about it, how much that, I love it.
2: That is the best program that's come out in 10 years, and I'll tell you why. It's because it is it it is filled with positivity. The thing is is uh, I write a lot of things. I, I've written movies and stuff, and the, the notes that you get back from, let's just call them executives or whatever you want to call them, is there needs to be more conflict. Conflict is what people want to see. And I'm like, all right, I guess. But this show is so popular because it's just good people being good to each other. And the whole world has gone through such a thing for the last three years with pandemic and blah, blah, blah. They just want to see wholesome stories and know that humanity still exists. And they do such a good job of that in this movie. I would watch it every, it came out every Tuesday here and I would watch it and then go and do stand-up and I'd have the best shows on Tuesdays, which is not a night to have a good show. But um, it's because I've just felt uh, really positive after watching such, such a great, such great characters that you were so invested in. And, and if anything, I recommend people watch Ted Lasso for your own mental well-being, because even my mom afterwards said, I'm just I'm so much happier having watched that show. It's it was, it's so interesting.
0: Oh, I like it. The characters are good. I've seen a few of the clips and I've watched a few of the first episodes, but, yeah, it does look like that sort of positive energy. That's what we were saying. Like, there's so much doom and gloom and shit going on and, like –
1: A lot of clickbait. A lot of clickbait to make you fear uh, and, like – Yeah, just
0: to play with your emotions. It's like, how about we just stack some good shit together? The whole internet's
2: just a cesspool, and if you start reading comments and stuff, I mean – if you guys looked at any of my Instagram stuff, I, I'm pretty positive person. I'm just trying to have a laugh and stuff, and people still find a way to get offended with how much buddy Vegemite I put on my toast the other day or something. But people were yelling at me. Yeah, so people <laughs> oh, calm down. People are so sensitive. Hey, aren't they, they, they?
1: they like to share opinions too. Yeah,
2: internet. It's like the
1: it is the cesspool. we will saying that the other day. Now with the new app, like threads coming out, that yeah. feels like that's just like. That's well, the, it's, the, the problem
2: is, is a lot of people in their lives don't have anyone that listens to them. And then they have these platforms where people will get angry at something they say. So suddenly they've got people listening to them. So I never judge people when they're writing these comments. And some of them are pretty nasty, but I go, they're probably in a pretty nasty place. So I don't need to go bark back at them and then feel terrible uh, about, you know, I- about doing that because. They've obviously got stuff in their own lives that they're trying to work through, and that that's their outlet. But I tell you, some of the areas of the internet, Facebook's the worst. Just comment after comment of just just bullshit. What,
0: a, what about actual hecklers in the crowd? If they come out and they want to chop you down in front of everyone, surely you'd like give them the Jimmy
2: Carr treatment. It doesn't happen that often. Like no. you think that it might, but people uh, people aren't really going out to say a point at a comedy show sometimes people get a little bit drunk and then yell out stuff sometimes it helps the show I had a guy yell something out in Chicago and then I went off on a tangent for about five minutes and it was great other times it's very distracting and stuff like that but I learned something watching um Adam Sandler at his shows and if people yelled out now everyone loves Adam Sandler right so it would be very out of character for him to bark back at someone who heckled. You'd kind of be like, oh, Adam, that was a bit mean or something like that. And I watched him when people yelled out. He would just say, hey, thanks for enjoying yourself. I'm really glad that you came here. I, I love you. Thank you. And it would immediately just oh, they'd go, oh. And then everyone would just go, oh, well, let's not yell at him because he's just a nice guy who's just trying to say stuff. And it would calm everyone down. And I was like, that's really interesting because I think when I first started doing comedy, I thought it was my job to cut someone down if they yelled out at me, like I had to one-up them or I had to be the biggest or the funnier person in the room or whatever it was. But that's not really what the, that's not the case. You just, you're kind of there to facilitate everyone having a good time and, and to work through that in, in the best way possible, really. And I don't mind hecklers if they um, kind of bring something to the show, but if they take away from it, then then you can get out.
0: It's about the other people, you know. They didn't come here to fucking listen to you. you Hey,
1: we're
2: halfway through the year. What are you excited about for the rest of the year? Uh, I'm very excited about this Australia tour. I'm really looking forward to coming home, and I'm I'm hitting places I haven't been in a long time, like Perth and and Adelaide and. Uh, and Brisbane I'm really looking forward to. I don't know why. I keep thinking about Brisbane for some reason. But, we um, love Brisbane, bro. We went there for a little trip and we were like, uh, we were like up there it. the other day. It's, it's warm. We are down here
1: on the surface coast the other day. Other <laughs> the other year. The other year.
2: Oh, close <laughs> yeah.
1: enough. We saw the Opera yeah. House. We went and got the photo in front of the Opera House. Like,
2: look at us. Brisbane's good, though, bro. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really looking forward to coming home and um, and seeing uh everyone and being around Australians again and going to the bakery and having an old lady at the bakery say something funny to me and that kind of stuff and then um then we're shooting this movie later this year which is really uh exciting and then um yeah i think uh there's some there's some big shows I, my instagram kind of blew up a lot in the last um 6 months and there's a there's a massive australian contingency in Amsterdam that want me to go out there and do shows and then Germany and Switzerland and I'm like oh, that sounds bloody cool so I might do a European trip as well and yeah the, the prospect of doing some of these cool new things is very uh exciting on the horizon for the next sort of six to eight months yeah
1: well mate thank oh. you so much for jumping on and spending some time with us it's been unreal to unpack your journey and uh
2: thanks again so much yeah no worries thanks for having me it was a great podcast you guys are fun
0: Monty, Monty, Monty. I feel like this is one of my favourite episodes we've done so far. Funny, humble, I don't know, just really like him. So if you like him too, make sure you go check him out when he's on tour in Australia early August. He's touring all the main states, uh, doing some good work there. So,
2: yeah, love his stuff and love you.